So we're going to turn now and read from God's Word, and we're working our way steadily through Mark's Gospel, and we've come to chapter 5. We're going to read the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 5. So if you have a Bible there, uh, please lift it and read along with me. This is God's Word, Mark chapter 5, starting reading at verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened, what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine, and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Well, this week, um, as I was writing my sermon, I was trying to write my sermon, but I was being continually distracted. The story of Harry and Meghan and their interview with Oprah, well, it was all over the news, wasn't it? It was all over the TV, the radio, the internet. And then we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and on Wednesday morning, in her usual composed and classy fashion, the Queen put out her response, 61 simple words, aim to, to ease tensions, to put out fires, and without actually saying anything about what happened, the, the, the Queen managed to be 
loving, managed to be conciliatory in her tone. But what I really loved about the Queen's statement were those three brilliant words in the middle of her statement. I wonder if you noticed them. The words, recollections may vary. It's just a, a cleverly constructed turn of phrase. I think it could easily become the expression of 2021. Um, I know the next time Kate and I fall out in the manse, that's going to be my reply to her. Recollections may vary. Recollections may vary. It's a great and gentle way of saying there's two sides to the story. And two people can be at the one event at the same time experiencing the same story, but there can be two totally different reactions. Now, look, I'm not trying to provide commentary on the royal family. That's far from me to do so. I know much better than making political statements from the pulpit. That's not what this place is for. We come here to, to hear the word of God, not Jamie dancing around the latest news story. But I think there's something helpful in that phrase, recollections may vary, which leads us into our passage today. Because in our passage, we clearly have one event with two very different and contrasting reactions. In our story, we have Jesus casting demons out of a possessed man into a group of pigs, and the pigs run down the hill and into the sea, and they drown. That's the event. Then at the end of our passage, you can see the two reactions. There are the herdsmen, or uh, those called, they're called in, in, in the New King James, those who fed the swine. You see it there in verse 14. And they, along with the townspeople, well, they beg Jesus to leave the region. That's one possible reaction to the event. Then the other reaction is the demon-possessed man, or the man who was Demon possessed. He begs Jesus that he might go with him. One event and two very different reactions. But both of them, both reactions, have to do with the central question of this passage. Much like last week, Mark has put a question in the story, which is a challenge for those of us who read it. And this week, the question comes from the mouth of the man possessed, but the words are the words of a demon possessing him. You can see the question in verse 7. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? And just like the Queen's phrase was cleverly constructed, Mark cleverly puts the challenge of this whole passage into the question of the demon. Because today we will see once more who Jesus is. He is the Son of the Most High God. We will see his power and his authority. And we'll have to answer the question, what have I to do with Jesus? What have I to do with the Son of the Most High God? Are we like the herdsmen, who having seen his power and might, beg him to leave the region? Or like the man who was demon-possessed, begging to be with Jesus? And going on to be a great witness to Jesus' power and salvation. Well, let's look into things a bit more deeply. Please have your Bibles open in front of you at Mark chapter 5. And we'll begin by looking at the event itself. Jesus and the disciples 
I've just come to the other side of the sea. It's just after the storm. And as often is the case in Mark, something happens immediately. A man meets them. The description of this man in Mark 5 is terrifying. He comes running at them out of the tombs where we're told he has an unclean spirit. And the demon has a very violent effect on this man. The local people have tried to tie him up with shackles and chains, but he would break them, tearing them to pieces. He runs about night and day, shouting and cutting himself with stones. And the really telling phrase is there at the end of verse 4. Do you see it? At verse 4, it says, Neither could anyone tame him. This was a wild man. And he's spoken about like a wild animal. In fact, let's not miss the connection with what's come before. The, the wildness of the storm that the disciples of Jesus have just come through. Both the storm and the man are wild. They cannot be tamed by human beings. I think this is a really important point for us as we see how the stories that we're looking at each week connect with each other. This is the second in a set of miracles. In this, this section of Mark, we're being shown Jesus' power. His power over things that normal people don't have power over. No mere man could calm a storm. Only Jesus can do that. No mere man could tame the demon possessed. But the God-man can. Jesus can do things which human beings cannot do. Because he has the power and the authority of God. With the storm, we saw that his power was even greater than the power of nature, the wind and the waves. But here in this miracle in Mark 5, we see that Jesus' power is even greater than the powers of darkness. Even greater than Satan and his demons. They are an imposing force. But they're no match for Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. The power of Satan and his demons is, is shown in this passage. It is destructive over this man. We shall learn from the end of the passage that this man was usually naked, running about day and night, like I say, shouting out through the mountains and through the tombs. But once Jesus even grants permission for the demons to leave the man, well, they do. They enter into the pigs. And then you see the destruction on the pigs. They, they run off down the hill into the sea and they drown. Total destruction. It's, it's utter chaos. It's chaos. And I think we're meant to pick that up. This event confirms Jesus to be God. He's demonstrated his authority over the created world. That world which he spoke into creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And remember also, when we studied those chapters, we said that God brought order from chaos. And so Jesus does the same here for this demon-possessed man. He brings order from the chaos of this man's life. His life has been totally destroyed by these demons that, oh, it says about 2,000 demons who made their home in him. And we can see with the man and the pigs, that there is great and destructive and chaotic power in Satan and in his demons. 
But friends, I want you to take great hope today because Jesus' power and authority is so much greater. Take confidence that the power of Jesus' word is enough to calm a storm and overthrow the demons and Satan. Today, you might be undergoing the subtle darts and arrows of the evil one. You might be feeling his attack on your faith, on your devotion to Christ. You might feel him drawing you away from the worship of God. Maybe you're undergoing great temptation to ignore these videos that are being put up each week. Maybe you're genuinely struggling to have a passion for God and his word. I wouldn't be surprised if you were. I wouldn't be surprised by all of that. Satan loves the chaos that has been caused in our world through a pandemic. He thrives on, his, on God's people facing uncertainty. He would love us to be running about like a demon-possessed wild person. He would love us to be like the pigs in this story. But I want you to know today that you can stand firm. You can resist his temptations. You can face up to the difficulty and chaos that we are going through. And you can do all that not in your own strength. Your resolve will not last, but you can do it in the strength of Jesus. Jesus who, with a word, compels the demons to leave the man. And only under the permission of Jesus are they even able to enter the pigs instead. I want you to take confidence today. Not in yourself. Take confidence in Christ. In his once for all death. In his resurrection. In his Holy Spirit which dwells in your heart by faith. Take confidence today in his everlasting and enduring word. Storms are powerful. Satan is powerful, but they are like a fly on the back of an elephant compared to Christ. In the Gospels, he demonstrated his power and authority over Satan and his demons. On the cross, he defeated them once for all. And with his return, he will cast them into the lake of fire and brimstone, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Do you see Jesus? Do you see who he is? In this event, in his earthly ministry, we are clearly shown the Son of the Most High God. His power and authority are ultimate. They are absolute. But we still have to deal with that question. The question of the demon, what have I to do with Jesus? Or maybe more pointedly, what have you to do with Jesus? And so let's look at the two reactions to this one event. First of all, we'll look at the herdsmen, the pig farmers. It might be worth pointing out that Jesus here is in enemy territory. He's crossed over the sea and, and come out onto the land of the Gentiles. We know that he's no longer in Jewish country, not just because of the geography, but because they're keeping pigs. Now, I know we have pig farmers in our congregations. I'm very thankful for them because I'm a big fan of bacon. 
But this is something that no Jew would ever have done. Even today, Jews wouldn't farm pigs. So Jesus is no longer at home. He's in the midst of enemy territory. He and his disciples are in a minority. And it should have felt like a scary place for them to go. But as we've seen before, while everyone else might be afraid, Jesus is not afraid. I think it's important to note that Jesus came to this place. Jesus came here. He brought his power and his authority into enemy territory. He brought it along with his compassion, his healing, and his good news. You know, as we look at the world around us, we might feel like we are in enemy territory. We might look and listen to all those around us, and it isn't just that they don't care about Jesus. They're actively against him. Actively against the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The teaching of Christ stands in direct opposition to many people's lives and lifestyles. And so from their perspective, it's not enough just to not believe in Jesus. They want to actively oppose him. They want to chase him from the country. They want to chase him from our land. We see that when we, we hear politicians say things like, you can leave your Christianity at the doors of Parliament buildings. The law of God is of no concern in here. It can often feel like we are in enemy territory because there are people, even in our own part of the country, who are opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. But that's where we find Jesus here. That's where he is. He is in enemy territory. He's not avoided it. He has not yet given up on these people. Instead, he goes to them. He offers healing and forgiveness. He brings the gospel. Friends, Jesus is not afraid. He could hardly have been met by more opposition and hostility. A, a demon-possessed man runs at him as soon as he gets out of the boat. And then, as we've seen in verse 17... The herdsmen beg him to leave. Jesus is not receiving a royal welcome here. But he's not one bit afraid. And that's how we need to think of the mission of God in our land and in our time. We, will, we, know, we know that we will face opposition. We know we will be criticised. But we shouldn't be afraid to go. Even to those who are hostile. Because we go in the power and name of Jesus and we take no other message with us than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's given us to share. And we go knowing that some people will reject Christ. Some people will be like the herdsmen. Now, we're not entirely sure why they beg Jesus to leave. We're told at the end of verse 15 that they are afraid. But what they're afraid of isn't made explicit. It's maybe the power of Christ. In the same way the disciples were afraid when they saw Jesus calm the storm. The herdsmen are afraid when they saw Jesus calm this demon-possessed man. We also see at the, verse of, uh, at the end of verse 16 what happened to the pigs. And that has an effect on the people asking Jesus to leave. I think that's applicable to us today. You see, there are 2,000 pigs. And they're gone. They've run into the sea, they've drowned. Now, 
I'm not a farmer, but I'm fairly sure that losing 2,000 pigs would have an impact on your income. And so what do they do? They beg Jesus to leave. Having him around is costing too much. They reject Christ because embracing him would mean giving up their lifestyle and livelihood to have him around. And that's the case of many people today. They might see the saving work of Christ in, in the life of another person, but the cost of following Jesus is too high. The cost of coming into the fellowship of the church is too high. This touches on some of the issues that uh, the Reverend Brian Key raised in our midweek last week, last Tuesday. Those who, who watched it or listened to it will know. You'll know what he said. We're living, folks, in a place where the we are in the minority as Protestants. Let alone as, as Presbyterians, we're in the minority. And we have people all around us who need to hear the good news of Jesus. But we have to face up to the fact that it is much, much more costly for someone to convert to Christ from a nationalist background than from a unionist background. Because, well, it means leaving behind their lifestyle. It's leaving things behind. Costing, or counting the cost of discipleship is something that we all have to do. But just because people might reject Jesus doesn't mean we shouldn't go to them. Jesus went into enemy territory. And some saw the man, the demon-possessed man, and they saw the swine, and they pleaded with Jesus to depart the region. But the message of Jesus' saving power, well, it lingered behind. And some people, some people marveled. Some will reject Jesus, but we go with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the hope and in the knowledge that his people will marvel at him. And so we come to the man who was demon-possessed. Same story, same event, but a totally different reaction. In verse 18, this man is not begging Jesus to leave. He's begging to go with Jesus. All he wants to do is be where Jesus is. And isn't that a great description of a Christian person? We want to be where Jesus is. But for this man, he isn't going to get to go with Jesus physically. Instead, Jesus wants him to serve him where he is. He, look what he tells the man in verse 19. He says, go, to your, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. The people seem to have rejected Jesus. But here's this one man and he stays behind as a witness. His life is to be lived as a missionary to his, his own people. This man who was once possessed by many demons who was once under the power of Satan while well, he's been converted to Christ. And he goes. He goes to share the message of the gospel. And it's just as simple as telling people all that Jesus had done for him. And look at the reaction of the people at the end of verse 20, the very, very end. All marvel. Isn't this a kingdom which grows like a mustard seed? 
There's no explosion. There's no mass gathering from the Gentiles. Shouldn't these people, they've, they've heard from the herdsmen what Jesus did for the man who was demon-possessed. Shouldn't they be bringing their sick to Jesus so that he could heal them? But that doesn't happen. They reject Jesus because he has cost them financially. Instead, slowly and surely, through the witness of one man, sharing the good news of the restoration that's found in Jesus, the kingdom of Christ grows. Not just in that one place, but through the entire region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis is an area of ten cities and all of the surrounding countryside. Friends, there we have one event, but two different reactions. And I want to remind you of the one event that stands at the centre of all human history. The Christ event. The birth of life, death, resurrection, ascension, and spirit gifting of Jesus. This Christ event has two possible reactions. We can reject Jesus, or we can follow him, no matter what the cause. We've seen today the power and the authority of Jesus over Satan, over darkness, a power which he will keep and exercise for all time. So let me ask you again as we finish this question from the demon-possessed man. What have you to do with Jesus, Son of the Most High? Are you following him, sharing his good news with those in your home country? Or are you going to reject him? Let's pray together.